One day when I was at work as a youth pastor, I was sitting in my office, and I felt all of a sudden like kind of like overcome by something or by someone, really by the Holy Spirit. I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me in a really strange and strong and like powerful way. I had this feeling that the Holy Spirit was giving me something to share like with our church at that time. To use biblical language, what I really felt was that there was a fire in my bones that needed to be shared. That's what the prophet Jeremiah actually talks about when the Holy Spirit fills him. And so I had this real like strange experience. I'd been filled with the Spirit before, as we even talked about last week. I've been experienced of the Holy Spirit, but I never had a moment quite like this. So I did what I always do whenever I encountered something spiritual that I didn't quite understand, that I didn't quite experience before, or I wasn't sure what to kind of do next. I went and I asked my dad. Now, I know many of you don't know my dad, but my dad was a pastor for many, many years. And not only that, my dad had a really unique sense of being connected with the Spirit. And so I want to share with you a picture of my dad that shows my dad and me kind of at the same age. And you'll also see myself and Hudson as babies. Um, and you'll notice, obviously, there's a strong resemblance in our family that kind of carries through, right? This is who my dad uh, was. This is who he is. And so my dad was really somebody that was deeply in tune with the Holy Spirit. I don't know any other way to put it other than that, that he was deeply, deeply in tune with the Holy Spirit. So much so that I felt as if sometimes his connection with the Spirit was like um, clear, where mine was kind of like on a radio station where there was noise and distortion. So it would not be uncommon for my dad to be speaking with someone and for the Holy Spirit to reveal something to him to share with somebody else. That happened to him often. My dad also, in terms of being connected with the Spirit, he was also somebody who could speak and preach and also share in such a way that it would reveal to people what God was looking for in their lives. That I can just picture him so often when he'd be preaching. He would close his eyes and he would start to share and he would move away from his notes. And what he would start to share would really be words from the Holy Spirit. Words that were both tender and soft, but would also cut right to the heart of things. And you knew it was if God was speaking directly to you. My dad just had this sense of being deeply connected to the Spirit, actually. So much so that at one point when he was driving, he heard God say to him something very, very directly. So he passed a police officer, actually, who was just sitting on the road. He pulled over, told the police officer what it was that he had just heard God share with him. The police officer took, took off, like, instantly. And actually, because of what my dad had shared, um, that there was a, actually a death that was prevented and a crime that was stopped. My dad actually got a citizenship award from it. This is who my dad was, somebody who was deeply, deeply, deeply connected to the Spirit in a way that especially when I was a youth pastor, I wasn't. And I was hoping to be, but I hadn't experienced that. So I went into my dad's office and said, Dad, here's what I'm experiencing. I'm feeling like there's something I need to share. What do I do with this? So my dad told me what to do. He said, go back to your office, write down exactly what you think the Spirit is telling you, and then we'll talk about it more. But before I went and did that, he wheeled over to me because he was in um, kind of a, a rolling office chair at that point, right? He wheeled over to me. And what he did then is what he has often done is he laid his hands on me, which just means kind of putting your hand on someone's shoulder, something like that. And he laid his hands on me and he prayed for me. He prayed that I would receive more of the Spirit. He prayed that I would listen to the Spirit. He prayed that I would be filled with the Spirit. And he had done this many, many times. And he had done that many times afterwards. But it was in moments like that, that what I really believe happened, I don't think I've really shared this with many people, but that what I really believe happened in moments like that and subsequent moments after that, where he prayed for me to be filled with the Spirit, what I really believe is some of the spirit that my dad had, he passed on to me. Okay? That some of the spirit that my dad had within him, from all of his learning, from all of his actual personal experience with the Holy Spirit, he passed on some of the spirit that was within him to me. So much so, so much so that if you were to go and watch a video of my dad preaching when he was, you know, my age now, right? It would be hard at times actually to tell the difference between the two of us. 
This is not only because he trained me in how to speak, it's also though because I deeply believe that the same spirit that filled him, he passed on that spirit to me. And I know that might be a weird thing to say. I know that might be a strange way to put it, but I actually believe that's what happened and that's actually what I want to talk about here today. How the spirit can be passed on from one person to the next. Okay, how the spirit can be passed on from one person to the next. That's what I want to explore here today to really wrap up this series on exploring the Holy Spirit, God's Ruah, his spirit from the Old Testament perspective. And so today, what I want to explore is something we don't often talk about in church, especially in the West, but something that is so, so clear in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, is that God's spirit can be passed on from one person to the next. And so to help us to take a look at this today, we're going to be looking at two different stories. I want to begin with a story that likely you maybe have never heard or actually heard preached, but I think it'll introduce us to this idea that I think is really important to us, okay? And it's found in 1 Kings 22. And I want to begin to reach you, uh, as I said, this story that you likely haven't heard. And the story is really set in the time when Israel is being harassed and constantly under threat of being taken over. And the two kings there at that time decide to consult with prophets about what to do. Okay, so I want to read to you what happens. We read this. For three years now, there was no war between Aram and Israel. Then during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit King Ahab of Israel. Okay, so there's the two kind of kings. They're going to come together and they're going to discuss what should we do next. During the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, do you realize that the town of Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And yet we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aram. Then he turned to Jehoshaphat and said, will you join me in battle to recover Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops. My horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat added, but let's first find out what the Lord says. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, about 400 of them, and asked them, should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back? They all replied, yes, go right ahead. The Lord will give the king the victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. There's a difference here, obviously, right? The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, there is one more man who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. But I hate him. But I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imla. Jehoshaphat replied, that's not the way a king should talk. Let's hear what he has to say. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, go bring Micaiah, son of Imla, to me. And so what ends up happening is Micaiah comes in and all the other prophets, all the other prophets have said, it's good to go to war. Don't worry, you'll win. Things will be fine. What they actually prophesied is that the status quo in victory is assured. Micaiah, though, comes in and he's going to say, no, actually, that there is doom, there is uh, trouble, and there will be destruction if you go to war. Um, so, for example, one of the false prophets named Zedekiah, this is what he says. Zedekiah, son of uh, Kenanana, uh, made some iron horns and proclaimed, this is what the Lord says, with these horns you will gore the Arameans to death. He says they're going to win. He says everything is good. Let's listen to what Micaiah, uh, a true prophet, says, though. Then Micaiah told them, in a vision... I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains like a sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, their master has been killed. He's prophesying that King Ahab will die if they go to war. That's what this is. Send them home in peace. Didn't I tell you the king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat, he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. And here, here we can learn a lot about prophecy, actually. First, that the prophecies that we should pay most attention to are not the ones that maintain the status quo for those in power, that often prophets really speak truth to power. 
Secondly, that prophecies that are vague are not prophecies. Okay, that prophecies that are vague are not prophecies. Micaiah is really concrete and specific. He says, if you go to war, you will lose, and King Ahab, you will die. Often in today's day, age, day and age, people like to give very vague prophecies so that almost anything is a fulfillment of it. That is not how it works in the Old Testament. And thirdly, true prophets, true prophets tie their reputation, their livelihood, and their lives to their prophecies. Right? That true prophets tie their uh, reputation, their livelihood, and their lives to their prophecies. And that if they are wrong, they are done. They are not prophets, right? Micaiah actually uh, says this himself. Um, but Micaiah replied, he said, If you return safely, speaking to King Ahab, it will mean that the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added to those standing around, Everyone mark my words. But today, today I don't want to focus in on prophecy. I want to focus in on the spirit being passed from one person to the next or moving from one person to the next. Because listen to what Zedekiah, one of the false prophets, says next as soon as this happens. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenanah, walked up to Micaiah and he slapped him across the face. And he said this, since when did the spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you? Since when did the spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you, he demanded. Because what Zedekiah realized and what people in the Old Testament realized is that the Spirit of God could move from one person to the next. That the Spirit of God could be passed on from one person to the next. Or if somebody isn't being faithful, the Spirit of God could move from one person to the next. We see this, for example, in the Spirit of God moving from Saul to David when Saul was not being faithful. We also see the Spirit being passed along from one person to the next with like Moses and Joshua. Or if you remember my very first sermon in the series, with Moses to the 72 elders that what becomes really clear if you start to pay attention in the Old Testament, in the Jewish scriptures, in the Hebrew Bible, is that the Spirit of God can be passed on from one person to the next. That the Spirit of God can move from one person to the next. This might be, for us as Western people, a strange concept, perhaps even a new concept, but it is a biblical concept. Jack Levison puts it this way. He says, while the passing of the Spirit from one person to another may be a difficult concept to grasp, it is a biblical concept nonetheless. So to try to understand this and how the Spirit can be passed from one person to the next, I want to take a look at kind of the quintessential story all about this. A story about Elijah and Elisha. And that's where I really want to focus in here today. Now, if you don't know much about Elijah, he's kind of like the big main prophet in the Hebrew Bible. That when it comes to the two figures that kind of dominate the Jewish scriptures, they are Moses and Elijah. They're the two main figures, actually, in the Hebrew Bible. This is why, then, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, right, when he's actually connecting with God, he also meets with Moses and Elijah, like the two main dominant figures. And Elijah, if you don't know much about him, Elijah is a prophet, but he's also, like, strong, forceful, and kind of salty, right? He's a little bit uh, disgruntled and angry at times. You can really see this in his character and who he is. But he really speaks truth to power. So much so that King Ahab really hates Elijah. And this is how he talks about Elijah. He says that Elijah is the destroyer of Israel because he refuses to get on board with what King Ahab wants to do in terms of his idolatry, okay? But there comes a moment... There comes a moment when really Elijah is actually almost like giving up. I want to read to you about this moment where he's seeking again the Ruah of God, the voice of God, and what ends up happening. Okay? So it says this, And as Elijah stood there, uh, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm, a mighty Ruah, right, hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the Ruah. Because remember, Ruah means breath, wind, and spirit. So the Lord was not in the Ruah. After the Ruah, after the wind, 
there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of really sheer silence. And this is when then Elijah connects again with God. And God gives Elijah, God gives Elijah some commands. And one of them is that he needs to pass on what he has learned to an apprentice. He needs to pass on what he has learned from God to another person. That there needs to be succession happening. God says this to Elijah. He says, then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nishmi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. What he says is, go and anoint Elisha, really to replace you as my prophet. And so that's, that's what Elijah sets out to do. He sets out to pass along what he has to Elisha. So we read this. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. Um, there were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12 team. Elisha went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. This was really a moment of calling Elisha forward, of saying, will you follow me? And so what ends up happening is Elisha goes with uh, Elijah. And it says this in the text. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant really as his apprentice, really as someone to learn with him. And then there comes a moment, there comes a moment when Elijah is going to be taken away uh, with the Lord. So it says this, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, in a ruah, right? Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. He's committing to his master. He's committing to the person that he is called to follow, right? So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, this kind of plays out three times, right? But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from a group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided and two of them went across on dry ground. And when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do with you uh, for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit, of your ruah and become your successor. You have asked the difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken away from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. And here's how the story kind of wraps up on what we want to then explore here today. It says this, as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen where he was taken up. And then Elijah returned to the bank of the Jordan River. And he struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the river divided and Elisha went across. And when the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what had happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests on Elisha. Elijah's spirit rests on Elisha and they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. 
Now, this narrative is quite long, and it's also strange in some ways. Obviously, like with chariots of fire and water kind of dividing and all of that. But I really want to notice three things from this text here today. Okay? Three things I think matter for each of us. If we're going to understand that the spirit can be passed on from one person to the next, even as this story really showed and demonstrated. So the three things I want to draw your attention to is this. That first, that the spirit can be passed on. That second... The spirit is not a commodity to be passed on, but instead the spirit gets passed on in the context of relationships and commitment. Okay? And thirdly, that mantles need to be intentionally shared and passed on. Okay? That mantles need to be intentionally shared and passed on. So the first thing I want to explore here with us today is this idea that the spirit can be passed on. And I think that this is really clear from the text because what we see really is Elijah passing on his spirit to Elisha. Elisha asks, can I receive a double portion of your spirit? And that is actually what happens. Because what we notice, what we notice is just as Elijah was able to part the waters, so is Elisha. This shows that the spirit has passed from Elijah to Elisha. So much so that what do the other groups of prophets actually cry out? They say this. They say, um, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. That the spirit can move from one person to the next, or the spirit can be passed on from one person to the next. And I know this isn't something we often talk about in the West. I think mainly because we are so individualistic and we don't like the idea that our lives could be tied to somebody else in any deep, meaningful way. But according to the Bible, they are, and they should be, because the spirit can be passed on from one person to the next, as we see, really, with Elijah passing on his spirit to Elisha. The second thing I want to notice, really, is that not only can the Spirit be passed on, but the Spirit is not a commodity, right, to be passed on at will. Instead, when this kind of passing on happens, it happens in the context of relationship and commitment. I want to say that again. That when the Spirit is passed on from one person to the next, what this story shows and highlights is that it happens in the context of relationship and commitment. And I think this is really, really important. I think it's very, very easy, especially in our modern Western world, to turn anything into a commodity that we control and distribute. But this is not how the spirit works. The spirit is not somebody that we control. Remember sermon number one, right? The spirit is somebody that we submit to. And so what we see then in this passage is how Elisha really starts to follow Elijah as his apprentice. And he starts to learn and he starts to commit to him. And there is an ongoing relationship and commitment. And it's because of that relationship and commitment that the spirit moves from Elijah to Elisha. I think that this is important for us to understand that Elijah or Elisha really only receives some of Elijah's spirit after he has proven himself and after he has already received a portion of the spirit. I want to say that again, okay? That Elisha receives some of Elijah's spirit only after he has proven himself in terms of his relationship with him and he already has a portion of the spirit. Remember how last week we talked about when the Spirit fills us, it fills us not always just from empty, really, but to the brim with something that's already there. And what the text makes really clear is that Elisha already had some of God's Spirit within him. Remember, all those other prophets came up to him and said, hey, do you know that your master is going to be taken away? And Elisha says, of course I know. God's Spirit has already revealed this to me. Right? Elisha already had some of the Spirit within him. But then then what we see is really because of their relationship, because of their connection, because of their commitment to one another, the spirit is passed on from Elisha to Elijah and he's like filled to the brim and he's actually then so much so filled that people say the same spirit that rests on Elijah rests 
on Elisha. So what I want to be clear with is this, is that the spirit can be passed on, but that this happens, according to this story, in the context, in the context of commitment, of relationship, of mentoring, of loyalty to one another. Again, Jack Levison, whose book I've really been relying on throughout this series, puts it this way. He says this, the spirit passes from mentor to protege. This is clear. And he says, this is not actually perplexing. Capable mentors transfer skill and knowledge and wisdom to faithful proteges. The passing on of the spirit, therefore, is neither incomprehensible nor automatic. It says this, he says this, it demands loyalty, learning, and trust on part of both the mentor and the protege. So the spirit is not a commodity to be passed on at will. Instead, the spirit is somebody that is passed on in the context of commitment, loyalty, and relationship. The third thing I want to see, the third thing I want to see is really that mantles need to be passed on intentionally. That mantles need to be passed on intentionally. What is true for each and every one of us is there will come a time for each and every one of us to step aside in whatever places we may be leading, whether that's in our family, our business, you know, uh, whether it's in your neighborhood, whatever it may be, there will come a time to step aside and let somebody else lead. And I think what this story is really highlighting is the need for us to pass on that mantle of leadership to someone else, right, with intentionality and with direction from God. Because what Elijah has happened is he realizes he's coming to the end of his ministry and God shows up and says, you need to pass on what you have learned. You need to pass on the experience that you have been given. You need to pass on all that I have shown you to a new successor, to Elisha. Let's not forget what God says. He says, go and anoint Elisha from the town of Abel-Menahola to replace you as my prophet. I think this matters for us. We need to have a different way of thinking. We need to think generationally and actually not just about ourselves and to realize that whatever God has invested within us, we are also called to share that with someone else. That whatever God has invested in us, we are also called to share that with someone else. That mantles, that leadership, that succession, all of this needs to happen under the direction of God and with intentionality. So what do we learn about this idea that the spirit can be passed on from the story? Well, really, there are three things I want to draw our attention to. One, that the spirit can be passed on. This happens really clearly in the story from Elijah to Elisha. Number two is that the spirit is not a commodity to be passed on. Instead, this passing on of the spirit happens in the context of commitment, of relationship, and of loyalty. And thirdly, thirdly, what I think I want to raise for all of us is the importance of actually passing on what we've learned to someone else. That mantles need to be passed on intentionally and under God's direction. So what does this mean for us all today? Well, here's my main point for us today. Really, it's a simple main point to wrap up this series, but it's one that is quite obvious from this passage and other passages in the Old Testament. Okay? My main point today is just this, that we can receive the Spirit and pass on the Spirit to others. Okay? That we can receive the Spirit from others and pass on the Spirit to others. That we can receive and pass on the Spirit to others. This is my main point today. And as I said, I do think I do think this isn't something that we often talk about in the West. We don't talk about how necessary it is for us to live in committed relationships with other people so the Spirit can be passed on. But that is what this text is getting at. That the Spirit can be passed on from one person to the next. And the Spirit is not a commodity, but it's in the context of relationship. And that mantles need to be passed on. And I do believe that even though we don't talk about this all the time, this is something that we almost get like intuitively sometimes. That this idea that things need to be passed on from one person to the next. And I want to share with you an example of how we almost intuitively get this in some sense, shape, or form. That as many of you know, 
as many of you know, when I came here to become the lead pastor, there was an intentional time where really we sought to have the spirit of Larry passed on to me. That might sound kind of weird and funny, but that actually is kind of like biblical language that the spirit can be passed on from one person to the next. Because as many of you know, uh, Larry, our previous lead pastor, was lead pastor for 43 years here. For 43 years here. And then he heard God speak to him very clearly, again, that he needed to pass on his leadership. There needed to be succession that happened. And so I came in at that point. And I remember there was an offer then for me to come down here and to become the teaching pastor at that point. And so what that required was really for me to leave an amazing church that I loved, for Krista to leave an amazing career that she loved, a house and a community and a neighborhood that we loved. We had to leave everything that was really quite good to come here kind of on chance in some ways. Really, it was on a step of faith, but in some ways it was kind of on chance. Because what some of you might remember is that we came here with no guarantee that I would actually become the lead pastor. We came here for a role that was called the teaching pastor, but then for me to move from being the teaching pastor to the lead pastor. Do you guys remember this? What we had to do was have every single person vote on me. Every single person vote on me, as if I was like a politician or something. So that after I'd been here for about a year and a half, maybe a bit more than that, um, all of a sudden then everybody had a vote on who you know, would be leading our church. So I bring this all up because if you think your job interviews are hard, imagine that, right? And so in many ways, I had so many people actually uh, share with me that this is not a wise idea to do. So many people told me, you know what, Andrew, don't go and be the person after Larry. Be the person after that person, right? You don't want to be the guy that comes after Larry. You want to be the guy who comes after the guy who came after Larry, right? Let somebody else blow it all up and then come in and you'll look great. That's what people kind of uh, told me. But both Larry and I felt very, very strongly, felt very, very strongly that actually succession needs to happen, intentionality needs to happen, and that mantles need to be passed. And so I came for an intentional period of apprenticing and mentoring under Larry. And so what we realized then was that this needed to happen for their spirit to be passed from one person to the next. This is why then at the vote where I became kind of a lead pastor, there was a time where we all prayed over me and Larry to actually see that transition happen. This is why then on the very first Sunday where I became lead pastor, we did the exact same thing again. We prayed over myself and Larry so that the spirit might be passed from one person to the next. This is why, this is why then on uh, December 31st on 2017, about 10 minutes, 10 minutes before um, midnight, when I would become officially the lead pastor, Larry texted me, again, passing on the mantle, making sure that the leadership passed intentionally. He did that so purposely. And I can remember actually the very first time the very first time we walked into the office when I was the lead pastor, we actually ended up in the parking lot the exact same time together, Larry and I. And we get out of the car and he asked me, he said, how are you feeling today? Now that you're the lead pastor, I said, oh, I'm feeling some weight. I'm feeling some, you know, some heaviness with it, right? Because there is a burden of leadership and responsibility. And Larry started to laugh. He said, I feel great because now that's passed to you. And he did his big Larry laugh. And it was a beautiful moment. Because what Larry realized is that some things need to be passed on. Amen. Some things need to be passed on. Some of the things that you have spent actually learning and growing with need to be passed on to someone else. And what Larry did in such an amazing way is to make sure that the same spirit that he had, that he'd been leading with, gets passed on intentionally. And I can't tell you, I can't tell you the number of people who have asked how this has worked. Because it is so strange and rare in church world for the outgoing pastor to be able to remain in the church that he loves. There aren't many people who actually this happens with. And I think the reason that this happened here is because Larry was so consistent and so intentional about passing on what he has received. That he was so intentional about passing on what he has received. And so today, today to make this practical, I have two questions for you. Okay, I have two questions for you. What if, who are you receiving from? Right? Who are you receiving from? 
And who are you passing on what you have received? Who are you receiving from? And who are you passing on what you have received? Because what I think we do get is that some things need to be passed on. And sometimes we only think about this in the big moments of huge transitions, like with Larry's retirement and me coming in. But I actually think we need to think about this in our everyday lives. Who are you receiving from? Who are you receiving from? And who are you passing on what you have received? So I want to explain those two questions. First, I want to ask you a big question of who are you receiving from? Who are you learning with? Who are you learning from? Because this is just true. You cannot grow in faith on your own. You can't grow in your faith on your own. Christianity is a communal religion. It's a communal faith. We grow under the apprenticing and the discipling of others. So who are you receiving from? Who is investing in you? Who is praying with you? Who are you learning both with and from? Who do you have this context of relationship? I want to invite you to think through that big, broad question because it matters. It matters for us to intentionally be learning from others. Elisha learns from Elijah. I learn from my dad. I learn from Larry. And we continue to learn from other people. Who are you receiving from? And if today, and if today no one comes to mind instantly, the right place for us where we do this learning together, this learning with, is in home churches, is in youth, is in support and celebrate recovery. These are spaces where we seek to pour our lives into one another so that we can learn together. So I want to invite you. I want to invite you to think through who are you learning from, who are you receiving from, and then if you aren't thinking of somebody instantly, I want to invite you to really get involved in some, one of those areas, one of those spaces, like home churches, youth, support and recovery, where you can actually receive from someone else. Because if we are going to grow, we can't do this on our own. Second question then for today, second question then for today, is who are you sharing what you've received? Who are you sharing with what you have received? And I think that this matters for us because Christianity, again, Christianity is about receiving, but then it's also about sharing with others. So I want to invite you to think through, who are you intentionally investing in? Who are you intentionally walking with? Who are you intentionally being like Elisha is to Elijah, right? Who are you doing that with? And I think that this really, really matters for us because it's so easy sometimes for us to forget to actually be pouring out what God has invested within us. But just what like Larry realized is that important things need to be passed on. So who are you investing in? Who are you sharing what you have received? And sometimes these mentoring aspects can happen in really formal relationships, but sometimes they can also happen in simple and small ways as well. It doesn't always have to be like chariots of fire and miracles and whirlwinds like in the story we read that what I really believe is when it comes to people shaping my life, they have done three things consistently that has ensured they've passed on what they have received. They've done three things. First, first, anybody who shaped my life deeply, they have listened to me. They've listened to me and where I'm at and sharing with me, right? They've listened to me. And then what they do is they share their experience for what they have learned with me. And then the third thing that they do is that they pray over me. They've prayed over me. And I think those three things of listening and then sharing and praying can ensure that you actually pass on some of what you have received to someone else. Because it's really true from this passage that the Spirit can be passed on, that we can both receive the Spirit and pass him on to another person. So I want to invite you to think through who are you maybe, or who are you called to invest in and to share what you've actually received. To give you some examples of what this might look like, if you're a parent or grandparent, I want to invite you to really think about this seriously. Right? With your kids or grandkids, are you listening to them? Are you sharing really what you have experienced? But then also, are you praying over them? And by praying over them, I don't mean just praying for them when they're not there. I mean actually praying for them when they're in your presence, laying your hands on them, actually being there with them and telling them that you love them and that you are praying into them. As parents and grandkids and grandparents, are you doing that? 
Maybe as a friend, maybe as a friend. Are there people that you are actually investing in? Where you're seeking to listen, where you're seeking them to share, but intentionally to pray? Or what about, what about as a home church leader or a coach or a youth leader or an employer or a teacher or whatever other role you might have that has influence over others? Are you, are you listening? Are you sharing and are you praying? Because what I really believe we need to do and get in the habit of is actually ensuring that what God has invested in us, that we share with someone else. So what's my main point today? My main point is that the spirit can both be received and shared. And then my challenge today, my challenge is also fairly simple. What I want to invite you to do is to receive some of the spirit and then to pass on the spirit through listening, sharing, and praying intentionally with others. I want to invite you to receive the Spirit and then also to pass on the Spirit through listening, sharing, and praying with others. Because as we saw in this passage, the Spirit can be received from someone else and the Spirit can then also be shared with someone else. I want to invite you to do both of those two things. To actually make sure that whatever God pours into us, we then pour out on others. And let's remember, let's remember that the Holy Spirit is not a commodity, but the Holy Spirit passes in the context of relationships and intentionality. So can you do this intentionally with your family, with your friends, with your kids, with maybe a coworker or somebody that you're journeying with? I want to invite you to really seriously consider who can you receive from and who can then you also share with and to share the spirit with through listening, through sharing, and through praying. So today, so today to close our series together on the Holy Spirit, I thought about doing a number of different things, but today I want to do something that is maybe a bit different. I want to invite you in just a few moments to actually have a moment to receive more from the Spirit, like we did last week. I want to invite you, actually, to ask the Spirit, will you fill with me so that I may share that filling with others? I want to invite you to pray that prayer. May you fill me so that I may share that with others. I want to invite you to have a moment of real deep connection with the Holy Spirit in just a few moments. We're going to have a song played. I'm going to invite you to sing and to worship with us, but also to be praying that prayer. God, would you fill me so that I may share what you fill me with others? But then to close today, to close today, I want to do something a bit different. To close today, actually, I don't want to pray for you in this moment. I actually want to allow my dad to pray for all of us. Because as I said at the very beginning, my dad is a person who's single most has shaped me, who I am. And I really do believe, I really do believe that some of his spirit he passed on to me. And so today, what I want to do to close, I want to allow him to pray for each and every one of us. And this prayer that we are going to play for you is actually one of the last kind of prayers that my dad prayed. It's from an Easter service. And so I want to invite you to just listen to this prayer, to allow him to even pray for you, and then for us to be able to pray afterwards, asking God to fill us so that we might follow him and share what he has filled with us. But I feel like this is an appropriate way to end our series on the Holy Spirit, to allow my dad, who shaped me so much, to also shape you a bit in here in this moment. So might you hear the Spirit as he prays? Might you also hear um, him speaking to you? And might you also be filled with the Spirit so that you might share the Spirit with others. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the day you've given to us. Thank you for being with us here this morning. Thank you for how you've already spoken to us. Have you heard him? Have you been listening? You see, God's already been speaking to us in so many ways. But the word of the Lord says that we need to have ears to hear him. So, Father God... For the moments that are ahead, I pray that there'll be no distractions, there'll be no disturbances. You've spoken to our hearts already. We've heard you. We've heard what you've said through your people. Oh, he'll try to blind your eyes. Who am I talking about? Talking about Satan. Oh, the enemy will try to blind your eyes. 
He'll try and deafen your ears so you won't even hear what I'm saying right now. But the Lord wants to break through. He wants to break through so that you can hear him. And for some of you, this is the most key time in your life. For some that are here, this is very critical. God has brought you here to express to you his love, to remind you that no matter what you've done, he loves you. No matter what you've been involved with, he loves you. No matter what it is that has tripped you up and caused you not to attend church or not to give God a second thought, he loves you. Sometimes in this world, a world that has gone, oh, the world that just seems to be falling apart, we need to be reminded of your great love for us. And you've done that today. So help us to hold on to that, I pray, as we continue to hear your word. For I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. So as we move into worship, I want to continue to invite you to receive the Holy Spirit so that you might share the Spirit with others. Continue to think about, continue to offer, and continue to ask the Spirit to fill you. Might you do that with us now together?